0: So, I want to again welcome you to the Acts and Pauline Epistles class. What is an epistle, by the way? A letter. A letter, a letter. okay? A letter like A, B, C, D. What? Yes. Thank you, yes. What is a letter? Okay, it is the other type of letter, Paul, Peter, whoever writing to a person or a group of people. And so, these letters are epistles. That we're going to be focusing on are specifically Paul's letters, and the reason for that is because Paul the focus on Paul's ministry is so huge, okay? And when we get to the question why did Luke even write Acts, that's going to become important, okay? Because he does focus on Paul rather than Peter, um, at least the latter part of Peter's ministry. Um, and he doesn't focus on other apostles much. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open in prayer, and then we're going to get right into the book. Father, I want to thank you for this privilege of looking into your word. It's exciting to be able to study your word because we believe that your word isn't just a bunch of facts and history, but it is spoken in a way that teaches and by your spirit transforms our lives. So, Father, even though we may focus on 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 facts and uh, and such i ask you god that you would make this class very practical and i pray that your spirit would speak to us and and that you would take these truths that we're going to learn and embed them and impart them to our hearts and impart life as well because your truth sets people free so speak life to us lord god through our time together in class in jesus name amen we'll go ahead and turn to acts chapter one if you will I'm going to read the first several verses I am reading from the NIV. So if you would follow along with me, that would be most excellent. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not have, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my... But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they had met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I want you to underline that word too, please. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, "It is not for you to know the times or the di- or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." After this, excuse me. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Um, we will not be reading a a whole lot of the Book of Acts. Um, Only because I am assuming that you will be reading it. Um, And and same with the other epistles. We're just not going to have time to read the entire epistle uh, of Paul when when I teach it. But we are going to be reading sections of them. So for that reason, it's going to be really important. That you will have read Acts by today, and if not, by next week. Those passages concerning the, uh, the outpouring of the Spirit, those chapters I gave you, just read those beforehand, because that will allow me to not have to read those entire passages, because that will end up taking a lot of time. But we are going to be looking at those passages, and today we're going to begin by looking at the very beginning, and the first question that I have for you is, who in the world is Theophilus? Any clue? Any clue who Theophilus is? or Greek, Okay. Any idea why you would suggest that? Phyllis. I'm sorry? Phyllis. And Theo. Okay. And his whole name? All right. So, what does Theos and Philos, Theophilos, mean? Any idea? Any thoughts? Go ahead. I mean, theology is the study of God. Okay. So Theo means God. Okay. Theos means God. (laughs) Philosophy is like thinking, right? Well, sophos is wisdom. Philosophy is love of wisdom. So love of God or lover of God. So Theophilus means lover of God. We don't know what this is. His actual um, name or if this is a a name that was just given to him, we would say a nickname. Um, he, He is addressed differently in the book or the gospel according to Luke. Does anyone remember how he is addressed? Most excellent Theophilus. Most excellent Theophilus. Now that gives us a clue as far as who... Luke is writing to the gospel, according to Luke, is the first installment or letter to Theophilus. This is the second. The gospel was about who? Jesus, Jesus, all that he said and did. And then this is about the apostles, the acts of the apostles. Um, Most excellent is a title that we find once in the Gospel of Luke concerning Theophilus. That title is not here, and there's some speculation as far as why that I don't think is real important to us, but it is used twice in the book of Acts. And Luke is the only one who uses that title. So that kind of causes us to consider very seriously maybe Theophilus holds a position that these other two held. And those two people would be Governor Felix and Governor Festus. They are called Most Excellent Felix and Most Excellent Theophilus. Both of them were governors of Syria when Paul was in prison in the late 50s. Okay. Festus. Festus. Yes. Not Fester. You know, like Uncle Festus? Or is that Uncle Fester? Anyway, the idea is that Theophilus may indeed be a Roman governor. Perhaps of Syria, but I, I doubt that, honestly. Um, Because when we come to a date that the book of Acts is written, I think we're going to discover that that would not be, it certainly wouldn't be his real name, but maybe a pen name. I would suggest that it is the governor of some other territory. All right. Um, Again, we see this continuity between the gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts. And so my next question then is, how do we know that Luke wrote the book of Acts? Does anyone want to throw out some thoughts on that? How do we know that the book of Luke, excuse me, that the book of Acts was written by Luke? Rose, you want to give it a shot? I guess it's an assumption, but he says in my first book to you, and the book of Luke was addressed to him. And then he talks about how, his first book was about um, Jesus, what he did and taught until the day he was taken up to heaven which was what the book of Luke was about so maybe that's technically an assumption but I think it's a sink one and then there's also times where the author of Acts will say "we" about a situation and okay. mention everyone else that's there except for Luke so Say that last part again, except for, just say like, that last we part again. there. Okay. But not mention himself. Okay. So then and gonna say, okay, we're going to discover, because we are going to read some of these we passages, we're going to discover that it couldn't be Timothy, it couldn't be Silas, and that because he uses we, he was a traveling companion of Paul's. And it, and you can just go through all the traveling companions of Paul, and it couldn't be any of them. Um, but we don't see Luke's name in it. And so we do know from the epistles that Paul knew Luke. Okay. Because he includes his name, like, um, I I believe it's at the end of Colossians chapter four. So, and, and Colossians was written when Paul was in the, uh, uh, under house arrest. In Rome, we're going to get to some of these dates and such and get out a map. Concerning maps, here's something that's really important. You are going to need, um, if your Bible doesn't have it, you will need access to a Bible or some way that shows the, the three Paul, uh, the three missionary journeys of Paul. And if you can find a New Testament timeline, now, I've got a study Bible, it's got a New Testament timeline, and it's got the three missionary journeys of Paul. In um, the third week, we're going to be talking about those three missionary journeys and a very possible fourth missionary journey that, um, for whatever reason, is just never talked about. But um, part of the reason why it's not talked about, it's not found in the book of Acts, but you can kind of piece that fourth missionary journey together from Paul's letters. Okay. Um, So the first thing that we're going to do is we are going to look at these we passages. Um, let, Let me also note that even though we are using as proof that this is the author's second letter to Theophilus, and we find evidence, of course, in Luke 1, 1 through 4, that that was the first letter, and it's got Luke's name attached to it. But here's our problem. Luke never attached his name to either the Gospels or the Book of Acts. He didn't say, I, a traveling companion of Paul, or an apostle, or an evangelist, or a teacher of the, the Word of God. I, Luke, a teacher of he didn't, he doesn't say that like Paul does. And like the other authors, except Hebrews, uh, of scripture rights, New Testament right. None of the Gospels have any of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John's names on them. But here is what we do find, and liberals make a really big deal of this. But here's what we do find, that from the very beginning, their names were attached by the church to these Gospels, and no other name, no other names are attached to those Gospels. Luke is the only one throughout church history that is even suggested to have written that gospel, according to Luke. He's the only one. That is very strong evidence for the fact that he did. Not conclusive, but it's very good. Um, So if the early church truly believed that Luke wrote this gospel, and by the way, in 1 Timothy, take, take good notes here, 1 Timothy chapter 5, I'm sorry, I didn't, I think it's verse 18. It's about there. In which Paul, remember Luke was a traveling companion of his, Paul, writing to Timothy, probably about 64, 65 A.D., quotes from the Gospel of Luke. He doesn't, it's, 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 there's a parallel passage in Matthew, but the Greek reads differently in Matthew. Paul is quoting directly from the Gospel of Luke. And so it would seem, since that gospel had not been on the market, so to speak, very long, that Paul knew this person quite well. So again, evidence that Paul knew the author of the gospel, of Luke, and far more than, very likely, it, it was Luke. The other evidence, of course, is that's the only name that the early church ever attached to that gospel. It was never Andrew or Peter or... Anybody else? No one. So, let's look at some of these we passages. So I want you to turn, first of all, to Luke, excuse me, (laughs) Luke, yeah, Acts 16. This is the first we passage that we come across. Um, So what's the significance? Just remind us. What is the significance when we find this pronoun we? What does that tell us? Say, Say it a little bit louder. Okay, so it, it would, it's the plural of I, so it includes other people. He is with Paul, so that means that he has been included in this apostolic entourage. And that's what I'm going to call Paul's missionary journeys. Apostolic entourages, okay? Because it is the Apostle Paul, it is the Apostle Silas, and Apostle Timothy, and there may be other apostles with them, but we don't know of this. So it's pretty much those three Luke is included and so he said he he says they 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 but when he joins them he says we we find this example in Luke chapter excuse me I keep saying that forgive me acts chapter 16 let's start with verse 8 and it says so they passed by mysia and went down to troas now if you've got a map of your first missionary journey you know where troas is it's like right on the northern east northeastern tip of turkey present-day turkey or asia minor so they passed by missy and went down to troas during the night paul had a vision of a man of macedonia standing and begging him come over to macedonia and help us after paul had seen the vision we got ready at once to leave for macedonia concluding that god had called us to preach the gospel to them so what does that tell you Where did they pick up Luke in Troas? So Luke is hanging out in Troas. He is a believer. And and, and at this point, I would venture to say a very strong believer. We are probably looking at about 50, 49, 50 AD. And I'm going to let you know and give reasons why about 12 years later, he finishes the book of Acts. So he's a strong, uh, he's a strong leader, a strong follower of Jesus Christ. He is called a doctor by or physician by Paul. Um, He obviously is a historian just by the very fact of how he writes Acts. And now he he was intro as we don't know why, but he is he joins Paul's ministry just by this very simple change of from they to us. No introduction whatsoever. But he joins them and they then go to Philippi. Then uh Uh, okay, so he is in Philippi. Let, we can just read verse 40. It says, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, remember the Philippian jailer, came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, that's where they had been staying, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then, does it say we left? Then they left. So what does that tell you? He stayed in Philippi. So we went. he was in Troas, joined them for their ministry in Macedonia. Uh, Now, they could have stopped by numerous towns or cities, but we are only aware of Philippi. Um, And this is the way Luke writes. He is very selective in what he chooses to record. We're going to see more of this later. Um, And so now let's turn to chapter... So he stays in Philippi. Let's turn to chapter 20. This is Paul's third missionary journey. And... he is. He has a a collection from the Gentile churches to the Jews in Jerusalem. So he's carrying a lot of um, denarii with him. And it says in verse five, these men, and he lists them beforehand. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi. After the Feast of Unleavened Bread and five days later joined the brothers at Troas where we stayed seven days. So he stayed in Philippi and now he joins Paul again on his third missionary journey. Here's what we find then as you turn to chapter 27 verse 1. Paul, of course, as you may remember reading, he gets arrested by the Jews, turned over to the Romans. He stays in jail in Caesarea Philippi for two years. In prison, okay, and he encounters Governor Felix and Governor Festus. He is heard by uh, Herod Agrippa II uh, and uh, Bernice, his wife. Uh, then, in about 60 AD, 59 60 AD, he sails for Rome because he appeals to Caesar. So he sails to Rome, and in chapter 27. Caesarea Philippi. not Philippi, but Caesarea Philippi that is that is in Syria. okay if you have a map of the Mediterranean, Caesarea Philippi is um, is on the coast there. okay. All right. Uh, chapter 27 verse 1 when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. Now, there we realize that Luke joins him probably towards the end of his third missionary journey. He is there while he's arrested, sent to Caesarea Philippi, uh, and um, he is then sent to Rome, and Luke goes with him all the way to Rome. And that's significant because then he is with him while he is under house arrest in, <laughs> in Rome. And therefore, um, therefore it is probably during Paul's house arrest in Rome where he writes this book. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. Um, but there are, some who have suggested the authorship was was a pseudonym. Now, a pseudonym. Excuse me. Just let me just write this up. A a pseudonym. Pseudo meaning false. Nim meaning name. So a false name. And. Some decades ago, they truly, and for quite a while, they truly, liberals, believed that most of the Gospels, and especially Acts, was written in the second century. That allowed then a lot of time for embellishments of copies of the stories of Jesus. So if the Gospels and the Book of Acts were written in the second century much more likelihood of mistakes and embellishment and legend to have crept into these gospels. So maybe it started off where they thought Peter saw thought Peter thought he saw Jesus rise from the dead. And before you know it, all twelve or all eleven saw Jesus risen from the dead. Okay? And so they believed that Jesus truly didn't rise from the dead. That was an embellishment or a part of a legend. And it lends itself then to choose a date in the second century. But while a man by... A false name. While a, while a man by the name of Sir William Ramsey in the 20s, 30s, he was a liberal. Um, I'm not going to get into all the reasons why he traveled to um, Israel and um, Asia Minor, but he wanted to basically prove his theory that the book of Acts was written in the second century. He believed that it was poorly written. Um, there were a lot of issues that they encountered. I'll mention in a moment. And he wanted to basically prove that it was a book written about a hundred or more years after the, the facts were actually occurred, the events actually occurred. Uh, what he discovered was the complete opposite. As a matter of fact, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some reasons why Sir William Ramsey says this, but he says Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, this author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. He then, because of his archaeological discoveries, paved the way for a radical shift in how liberals viewed both the Gospels and the Book of Acts. This is major, this is huge. And instead of these being books penned in the second century, They had to move all of them into the first century, still late in the first century, but in the first century, which then would suggest there is no time for legend to develop in these Gospels. There's just no time. And some would say, well, yeah, you know, 20, 30 years, that's enough time. It absolutely is not. Now, someone who has truly studied legend like C.S. Lewis. okay, he writes about this. C.S. Lewis. I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing him. He says hogwash. All right. Absolutely not. These books, these five gospels, the book of Acts, they're not written like legend. It's impossible for legend to have developed that in that short amount of time from the events to when the eyewitnesses actually wrote them. There's too many checks and balances that would say, hey, this is wrong information. And a, a voice would have risen up within the church saying, let's... These are these are not valid, these are not historical, there's too many errors. But nothing of that came to the surface. All right. Now here's here's what Sir William Ramsey. Um, this is what he discovered. And and really, what he did was he went through the book of Acts and he looked and the gospel and he looked at various things, like Erastus was he really uh, w- w- was he really a guy was gallio really a guy acts 18 speaks of gallio the proconsul of um, excuse me of uh, corinth and they said no gallio he's not he's not he's not recorded anywhere well here's what they found because as you read through Acts you get this feeling it's, he's probably in Corinth around the beginning of the 50s Gallio was proconsul they found um an inscription with his name on it that he was appointed by uh, Caesar or a high-ranking uh, Roman official he was p- appointed proconsul of Corinth for one year and Paul and but Paul was there in Corinth for a year and a half and so his ministry in Corinth overlapped with Gallio's. That's one of the dates that we can pinpoint now and say, yes, within a year, Paul, this, Paul's second missionary journey, he was right there. He was in Corinth. Okay. Um, also they doubted the title proconsul and they, that would not have been a title given to someone like a governor, but they discovered that that title was actually given because that title was written on, in in this inscription. Numerous titles. I don't. You generally do not read the Greek titles that are given. The NIV or many translations just says um, Roman official or something like this. When he's in Ephesus, uh, he calls the political the politicians agiarchs. You don't read that in your translation in your version. But that's the Greek word Asiarchs, and that is a title that they've discovered was used in Asia Minor. But many of these understand this. Here's the, here's the significance of this. Uh, titles also, excuse me, such as Praetors in Philippi, Proconsul, I mentioned, Protos, which means first man, and that's probably the way it's translated in your version in Acts uh, 28, um, that this man was the, he was the protos of Malta, the island of Malta, where they got shipwrecked and landed. Um, Polytarchs of Thessalonica. Here's the significance of this. These titles regularly changed they weren't there for like centuries. No, they were there for a short time and then they used uh, Damaris and Demures and, and other titles instead of those others. And so these titles shifted and changed and they used different titles. And what Sir William Ramsey realized was that there's, it's, it would be absolutely impossible for Luke to have, or someone to have written the book of Acts in the second century. He had to have lived in the first century during this time for that very reason because they had to have known those specific titles that were used in Thessalonica, but not in Ephesus, um, in Philippi, but not in Troas, and, and very specific. And Luke purposefully uses very, not just specific titles, but names, and we are now discovering these names that we that archaeology had not discovered. Their names were not written in any literature but we have discovered them in the last century and it has demonstrated the Gospels and the, and the book of Acts was definitely written close to very close to the traveling time 50-60s of Paul. Okay? Or it, shortly thereafter. Now, what the liberals do, of course is they try to make the Gospels written after 70 AD Mark they would say being the first one that was maybe written around 70 to 72 AD Luke around 80 85 the book of acts maybe shortly afterwards John 90 95 and and that's acceptable Mark uh Luke Matthew around 80 AD why do they why would they do this any thoughts on that why would they date them after 70 AD? Um, Ju- Juliana? No. No, you don't. Juliana? Uh, the prediction of um, Okay, who made this prediction? Mm-hmm. Jesus did. And he even said not one stone would remain on another. And how, what an obscure prophecy. You're talking about a. Most people would say, if they're prophesying, yeah, that building will be destroyed. But no, Jesus said not one stone will remain on another. In other words, they will be toppled out of place so that not one stone will remain in its original position. And that happened exactly because of the burning of the temple, the gold inside that overlaid the, the inside of the temple, melted, went down into the stones, and the Romans tore apart the entire temple to get the gold out so it was such a specific prophecy liberals say there's no way a human can know this because they assume jesus is simply human he these gospels therefore must have seen the destruction of jerusalem and then included it in jesus ministry but let's now look at when we should date the 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 book of acts Um, the book of Acts concludes with what incident, what event, what story? Okay, Paul is in Rome and it concludes with him being under house arrest for how long? Rome, excuse me, Acts 28, he's in Rome under house arrest for two years. And the way he writes it, it's as if that's it. He's now being freed, though it doesn't say it. It's as if he writes it and finishes it right then. Why do I say that he finishes it right then? Here's some things that we need to observe. If Acts were written around 85 AD, the question then comes, why does it stop so abruptly in 62 AD with Paul finally being released from house arrest? What events are you aware of that transpired after that, that would be very significant? Okay. Peter's death, around 67, 68 AD. Who's the main person in the book of Acts? Paul, so Paul's death, which was very close in time, around, we would say, 66 to 68 A.D. I'm going to suggest that Paul had a fourth missionary journey between 62 and 66 A.D., and that is not recorded. He records the three missionary journeys, but his letters that were written afterwards, like to Timothy, Titus, and such, they, they talk about places that he was going to go. The, the end of Romans, Paul indicates that he wants to travel to, after he visits Rome, he wants to visit Spain. We then read, um, uh, I believe it's Papias, one of the early church fathers, excuse me, and there was very strong tradition that Paul indeed had gone to Spain. And so in some of your Bibles, you actually have a fourth missionary journey. There's like eight to ten places that are mentioned that Paul visited. Okay, we don't know for how long, but he, he was supposed to meet Titus, Dalmatian. Various places like this. So there's a fourth missionary journey that he had. That's not included here. But his three missionary journeys are why would Luke record three missionary journeys, but not his fourth? Okay. So Paul's fourth missionary journey. I'm going to abbreviate this. Okay. Um, We also have James' death. That happened probably about 62 A.D. And I'm going to write this name down. Um, Josephus, actually, Flavius Josephus, Flavius Josephus wrote a book um, about the shortly before the time the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And then he wrote another one in 90 AD. And he speaks of Jesus in it. He speaks of John the Baptist in it. He speaks of Jesus' brother, James, being stoned in it. (laughs) And we can kind of pinpoint around 62 AD that James was martyred. That's not included as well. Okay, And these are significant men. James is talked about in chapter 15 and chapter 20 in the book of Acts. So it's not like he's just some guy that Luke has no concern about. Peter's death, Peter, we start off the book of Acts, the first uh, 10, 11 chapters, talking, 12 chapters, talking about Peter. He's like one of the main characters there. So why wouldn't he want to talk about Peter's death? He doesn't talk about Paul's death um none of these significant things paul's missionary journeys and none of this is recorded but it actually stops very abruptly almost as if he wanted to write more but very abruptly at the end of his imprisonment in rome okay after being there for two years 60 to 62 ad question Yes. And and so then if the book of, I would say 62 AD by the book, excuse me, the gospel according to Luke then was written before it. And I'm going to suggest to you that it was more than likely written when Paul was in prison in Caesarea Philippi. Now, the reason why I say that is because Luke had access to, um, to the uh, the apostles in Jerusalem before he went off to Rome um, he was remember in the wee passages he was in Troas then he stayed in Philippi it's possible that he left Philippi and went to Jerusalem to do his research but it's more than likely while Paul is in prison in Caesarea Philippi just north of of Israel or, or Jerusalem that he is he went he traveled to Jerusalem And he investigated about the life of Christ. And that is what Luke 1, 1 through 4 tells us. There are other documents out there about the life of Christ. He has made a thorough research of this from eyewitnesses, and he has compiled an orderly account of this. And Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus, here it is. Okay. So the gospel was very likely written when. Luke had access to research and investigate and interview all of those people to write the gospel, and now when when Luke excuse me when Paul is in Rome, to be able to have written the book of Acts, okay. And I would also suggest that while he was in um, arrest in Caesarea, Paul was in arrest in Caesarea Philippi, that he also spoke with the apostles like Peter, and that's how he was able to write the first twelve chapters of Acts. Okay, Um, and and he probably took notes. He was, being a physician, I'm sure he took notes. He was a detailed person. Luke and Hebrews have the best Greek of any letter, including Paul's in the New Testament, okay? All right, Um, let me check the time here. Now I'm going to skip that. Okay, I was going to talk about three different dates, and you can at least write this down because we want. I wanted to also look at or at an establish the proximate date of Jesus' crucifixion, and I'm going to throw out the date 30 AD, and there's reasons for that. And I'm going to give you these three verses, Matthew 2:15, that suggests Josephus says that King Herod the Great died in 4 BC and that Jesus was born just before that we don't know how long but he was born before that okay could have been up to two years before that we don't know for sure Um, Jesus was about 30 when he started his ministry so if he was born in 4 BC early part of 4 BC then he would he would be about 30 in 27 AD Luke three one and twenty three says in the fifteenth year of Tiberius Caesar, Tiberius Caesar, um, who began to reign in fourteen A.D. In his fifteenth year, he, um, John the Baptist's ministry started, and Jesus is about six months or so after that. We did, we don't know exactly, um, and then that would suggest. And, and I'm just going to throw this out to you. According to the regnal dating in Syria, that would probably put it not at 28, but 27 because of when he was Tiberius in August or September was made king. And then the regnal year would start about a month or so later. So at the end of 27. Um, and then John 2:20. Jesus is saying, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it and I will raise it in three days. And he was referring to his body, but they thought they meant the literal temple. And their response was, dude, what are you talking about? We have been building this temple for 46 years. Josephus tells us they started it around 20 or 19 B.C. If we go at the 19 B.C. date and just remember, there's no such thing as 0 B.C. or 0 A.D., History goes from 1 A.D. to 1 B.C., so skip that year it puts it in 27 A.D. So most scholars would say Jesus' ministry started about 27 A.D., meaning he was about 30 and very possible then if we assume that John, in Jesus' ministry, um, when he speaks of three Passover feasts in that book, that that would then mean Jesus' ministry was a minimum of three years. Okay, so Jesus' ministry, as you do the math, it was probably about three and a half years and Jesus then dying at 30 A.D. This then means the Pentecost following Jesus' death, which was 50 days later after Passover, um, that in 30 A.D., that's when the church was born, 30 A.D. Paul, there's some other dates we can kind of piece together that I'm not going to do right now, but Paul then if you look at galatians 1 and 2 we get this idea he was in he got converted and i'm going to suggest 32 ad 3 years in the arabian desert um and then evangelizing being taught by christ himself we don't know all that went on but 3 years there and then 14 years later went to jerusalem for the jerusalem council okay so that would be 17 years the jerusalem council was about 40 849 A.D. And so that would then put Paul's conversion around 32 A.D. Okay, if you followed all that, wonderful. Um, I need to mention to you that Luke is very selective in what he chooses to record. He could have, because he was an interviewer, a detailed guy. Um, And in these interviews, he could have interviewed Andrew. He could have interviewed other apostles. He could have written about them, but he focused for the most part on Peter. Did refer to Stephen in his ministry. Philip in his ministry for a chapter or two chapters. But majority of the first 12 chapters focused on, on Peter. A little bit of John, but not too much. Other apostles, but no names. And then from 13 to 28, for the most part, it's about Paul. So he's very selective in what he chooses. We're going to see this when, we, if you were to study in, in, in detail, the sermons that we find in the book of Acts. We're going to discover something very intriguing about those sermons, and we're going to need to ask why. And it's because Luke is being very selective and what he's including in his material and what he's not including. And when we look at next week, the outpourings of the Spirit, that becomes very significant. Now, so he's selective in what he includes and what he doesn't include. Here's another thing. The book of Acts is not just history as a result. Luke didn't just sit down and and kind of piece together this history of facts that he had heard. Because he's selective, then he has a purpose for everything that he includes, and even for the things he doesn't include. But we only, of course, have the things he, doesn't, he does include. And now we need to ask the question, why does he write this book? And we're going to take the rest of our time uh, this evening to talk about this. Why does Luke write the book of Acts? Now, there are more reasons than what I'm going to talk about. Um, and so I, th- there are reasons, of course, that e- scholars don't even know, but we have clues because of what he chooses to record. Okay? Um, Before I begin with number one, and to do that, I want you to turn to Acts chapter one. Let's realize that with the book of Acts, and honestly, with any writing in the New Testament, their purpose is not to answer our questions. Okay? And that can be a little frustrating, because we want to, we have certain questions in our day that we want them to address and if we're not careful, we take our questions and we go to the book of Acts, and we're going to do this next week, by the way, talking about the outpouring of the Spirit. And we if we're not careful, we can take our questions and we can expect Luke or any gospel any author in the New Testament to answer that question. And but if we're not careful, what can happen is we can read into the text what we want to find, okay? Now, there's numerous examples I'm not going to get into in which people today do that, and they do it frequently. They have a question, what does the Bible teach about once saved, always saved, or apostasy? And they go to text expecting that Jesus or some author to answer that question but it is never a question that's asked in the New Testament. So the only way we can come to an answer is by pulling certain passages together and being very careful not to eisegete those passages. Eisegete means to read into the passage, what we want to find. Exegete means to read out of the passage the author's original intention. So when we talk about Interpreting the Bible, we want to do exegesis and not isegesis. All right. So let's let's now look at what Luke says. And the very first thing we find in chapter one is that Luke, one of his purposes, is to talk about the kingdom of God. I'm going to erase all of this and write up these the purposes here now. Okay. Purposes of Acts. Number one, the kingdom of God. Where in that first chapter do you read any mention of the kingdom of God? OK. And how long does he teach them about the kingdom of God? How long? It says it in that the first several verses there. Four, forty 40 days. So from the time he was raised from the dead that Sunday, <clears throat> first day of the week, 40 days he teaches about the kingdom of God. That's his focus. He gives them many convincing proofs during that 40 days that he is, that he was truly bodily raised from the dead. And that then leaves how many days before Pentecost? Anybody remember? 10 days. Very good. Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. So about nine, maybe 10 days, depending on how you count those days. Okay. So, 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God. What does he include? What subject does he include when he is talking about the kingdom of God? Big subject. Major subject in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit. He reminds them, hey guys, do you remember? Back in the early days of my ministry, I told you, or, or John the Baptist told you, that one coming after him, whose, the thongs of whose sandals he could not untie or, or tie, that he says, though I may baptize with water, this man will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And <clears throat> Luke records that in his gospel, so Theophilus rem- remembers it and can refer to it. Now, as soon as they mention the Holy Spirit, they ask a question. What is that question? I had, to, I had you underline a specific word in that question when I first read it. What is the question? Just read it out loud, somebody. Can you restore the kingdom? Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel he, they do not say the kingdom of Israel that is very very important Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God not the kingdom of Israel the kingdom of Israel is Old Testament it had a monarchy, had a priesthood that is not the subject it's the kingdom of God and now they're asking are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now, why do they ask this question? Two reasons. Number one, and we don't have time to do this, though this, th- th- this is a very fascinating topic, but in Ezekiel 36, for example, um, Joel, end of Joel 2, uh, the very beginning of Joel 3, talking about the restoration of the fortunes to Israel, End of Joel 2, we actually have recorded in Acts chapter 2. That was the text that Peter preached from, okay, in the last days. Uh, We'll get to that next week. Um, Joel talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he says, basically, when that will happen, and I'm paraphrasing here, I will restore the fortunes of Israel. Now, if you take that phrase, fortunes of Israel, Moses was the first one to talk about it. It's talked about frequently throughout the Old Testament, especially in the prophets. And it does not mean a literal restoration of land to Israel and an establishment of the temple and an establishment of the monarchy in Israel. But it is this messianic age that is the kingdom of God and then culminates Romans 11 tells us where as so many Gentiles towards the end of the age are coming in Israel getting jealous and he says and all Israel will be saved the culmination is at the end of the age or close to it is that all Israel will be saved and we have the complete restoration Of Israel. Okay. Included with the Gentiles. Okay. But Israel is a very. Is very much a part of that. But he is not talking about the kingdom of Israel. Now if you were to look. And I'm going to give you these two verses here. Um, Okay. Here we go. Uh, Luke chapter 20 verse 16. Matthew chapter 21 verse 43. Again Luke 2016, Matthew 21:43. And it is the parable of the tenants. This parable really ticks off the religious leaders because in it Jesus he, he implies it in Luke and clearly mentions it in Matthew that the kingdom will be taken away from the Jews and given to other people. The kingdom has been taken away from the Jews. It's been taken away from Israel. They are no longer God's chosen people. They are no longer God's special possession. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 2 this past Sunday. Who is God's very special possession now? The church. Jews and Gentiles. The church. We are sojourners on this earth. We are now a holy nation. Those passages from Exodus 19 that were given to Israel now belong to the church, the people of God. And not Israel anymore. They are um, they they are that vine, that branch rather, that has been cut off. And only can be included when they believe in Jesus. And so this concept of the kingdom of God being restored does talk or, or refer to Kingdom of God being restored to Israel does eventually refer to not just the Messianic age, but all Israel being saved. And Jesus is saying, dates and times, you don't need to know about this. You don't need to know about when all Israel is getting saved. You're not going to need to know about that. Instead, for right now, the inauguration of this kingdom, that's what I'm going to talk to you about. And that's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was... In Joel 2, Ezekiel 36, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you and he will lead you to obey my law. Um, The Holy Spirit is significant in Ezekiel 36 and 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, coming to life. Speak prophetically, breathe on them. And the, the Spirit of God comes into them and they become an army. All right? This is the Holy Spirit. So... Uh, so much more that could be touched on that I'm not, but the spirit is significant with regard to the kingdom of God and with regard to the restoration of the fortunes of Israel. So they're thinking, you know, Israel is once once again going to uh, become very much a focus in the kingdom of God, but that will be towards the end of the age when the full number of Gentiles has come in. And Jesus says, I don't want you to worry about that. Don't set your eyes on that. I want you to set your eyes right now on the Holy Spirit. So as we go through the book of Acts, um, it's very interesting that the book of Acts, and I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six times in which it's mentioned. Um, The Acts 8.12, just quickly write these down, 14.22 a colon between those two numbers 14 22 19, 8, chapter 20 verse 25 chapter 28 verse 23 and verse 31 uh, 20 25 28 23 and 31 and if not just pick up a um a concordance and look up the word "kingdom" and you'll see how it's used. Now, what's significant is that he that the letters in the New Testament do not refer to the kingdom very much, but Luke does, and so he he really wants he, he wants to talk about this kingdom. The kingdom is not the gospel, though it. Certainly the gospel of the kingdom, you've heard that. The kingdom includes more. It is not just the gospel, but it is the power of the spirit. It's miracles. It's living that radical Christian life, that is spirit-empowered life. It's the ministry that takes place that we see in the, the ministry of Jesus. Healings, yes, prophetic words, praying over people, uh, ministering of the word, hearts being changed by the power of Truth, the word of God, the gospel, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so this, the kingdom of God is not just the message of the gospel, but it is a lifestyle. It's it's a way that we live now that is radically different than the kingdom of the world. So Luke wants to emphasize this. The second thing that he does is he talks about the reception of, I'm going to abbreviate this of the Holy Spirit. Okay. HS, Holy Spirit. Or the baptism with the Spirit. We're going to look at that next week, so I'm not going to talk about that right now. Number three, growth of the church. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to give you these verses and I'm going to encourage you at some point Maybe this week, that'd be great. Underline these verses in the book of Acts, okay? These are, these are, um, these are records of the growth and the expansion of the church and the, the Word of God. For example, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 41. It says, those who were accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Then you go to chapter 4, verse 4, and it reads, "Excuse me, but many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Then you turn to chapter 6, verse 7, and it says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, I'm not going to read anymore, but I'm just going to give you <clears throat> the addresses. Chapter 9, verse 31, chapter 12, verse 24, chapter 16, verse 5, and chapter 19, verse 20. <clears throat> now, the reason why I mention this is because this growth is an indication that the Holy Spirit is at work. And if I were to point out one verse in all of Acts, and we're going to focus on this next week, that would be a theme verse for this book, it would be chapter 1, verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, can you just imagine concentric circles? Starting with Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth, which would include Gentiles. Samaritans technically are half Jew, half Gentile. And so we see this expansion and growth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, There is a focus on Peter. And Paul, he chooses chooses to focus on them. Now, again, there's some mention, as I said, uh, Philip and Stephen, John is mentioned in uh, chapters 3 and 4 with Peter, but Peter's the main one who's speaking. Uh, But the focus tends to be on Peter and Paul. Peter, we can... uh, uh, and, I, and there's some speculation here, but Peter, because he was the one in Matthew 16 that Jesus said, you are on you, Peter, Petra, Petros, uh, on this rock, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, there's a various interpretations of this. I have no problem accepting the fact that the church would be built on Peter, but let's understand it was also built on the other apostles. And as Peter said, hey, look, Though the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church, which is, which I believe was Jesus' point, you too, the entire church, are living stones being built to form a spiritual house. Okay? And so, this is significant. So it focuses on Peter and then Paul, who was the apostle to who? The Gentiles. Peter, James, and John to the Jews. But the gospel just exploded, erupted when it began to come to the Gentiles. Now, I don't know if they expected this or not, but Paul and Barnabas and then Paul, Silas and Timothy in the second and third missionary journeys, they're taking the gospel out there. Peter eventually ventures and other apostles eventually venture on. Um, we heard about Thomas going to India and proclaiming the gospel there, though Luke doesn't tell us. Uh, some to Egypt, Alexandria, a very strong presence, Christian church presence in Alexandria, Egypt. But there's no mention of that in and So he chooses to focus on Peter, I believe because Paul, Jesus had given Peter this charge. When we get to... Uh, Acts 15, however, it doesn't seem as if Peter is the main guy. It seems as if James is. James, and he's called an elder. Uh, I would suggest he also functioned as an apostle. We can see that in Galatians 1. Um, in fact, maybe even being called an apostle. But he he's he's an elder. He is probably the lead pastor in Jerusalem. And he seems to lead this Jerusalem council. It seems this way. Um and then he, of course, James is the one who comes to Paul in chapter 20 saying, Hey, look, we need to do this right so that you don't get killed. Okay. Because a lot of Jews here are very offended by what you're preaching. Okay. And so James kind of helps instruct him. It's not Peter who does this. It's James. Now, maybe it's because Peter's out of town. We don't know. But James is there. James seems to take be taking the lead. But the first 12 chapters focuses on Peter 13 to 28 on Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, I need to be wrapping this up. So let me just take a moment here. I'm I'm probably going to finish this up at the very beginning of next class because we did get started a little bit late today. Um, If you can get here as close to six as possible, we can get started. Um, But I want to close with this. And it is. I want you to write this word down. Uh, Some of you may have never heard this word before. It's called... Kerygma. It comes from, yes, a Greek word, Kerygma, and it means preaching. Specifically, the preaching of the gospel. And I've got only a few minutes to get into this. Um, But if you were to look at the different sermons, Acts chapter 2, There's a little bit in Acts 8, but it's really not a sermon. Um, The next one would be, a big one would be Acts 10, when he is preaching to Cornelius' household. There's a sermon listed there. There's another one in um, chapter uh, 13 or 14. Um, we, We see certain sermons there's one in athens that he gives but the these are little sermonettes that luke records now let's understand uh stephen gave another one in chapter 7 Acts 7 but these obviously are not the entire sermon that the apostles preached that paul preached that peter preached in acts 8 10 to cornelius it's 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 a condensed version a reader's digest version if you will and Luke chooses to focus on certain things. Let me just list some of these for you. He f- tends, in these sermons, he tends to focus on Jesus' life of preaching and miracles, ministry. And his, we, he, he then chooses, he, he focuses just a little bit, but not very much, and just says it like a historical record. Jesus died, died on a cross or died on a tree. And he he goes over the cross very quickly. Then he focuses, of course, on the resurrection of Jesus. He talks about forgiveness of sins, restoration. He talks about faith, repentance, and water baptism in these sermons. Not in every one of them. He talks about the gift of the Spirit in these sermons. He talks about eternal life and Jesus coming again. And, and this concept of restoration, by the way, he he tends to, this times of refreshing that we see in John uh, Acts chapter 3, another sermonette there, um, he talks about times of refreshing and he implies what's called the Messianic Age, this new Messianic Age that's been inaugurated, that you've been looking for, but guess what, guys? You killed the author of that. And now he's been raised from the dead. The question, though, is... Why don't we see anything about the power of the cross? Now, the liberals eat that for lunch. They try to say, well, because Luke didn't know. I mean, of course Luke knew. Luke knew about the cross. Luke heard Paul preaching about the cross. The cross... And the, the the theology of the atonement, that Jesus died for our sins and that our sins were placed upon him and it satisfied the wrath of God. And there was a payment that was made. I mean, we even see the power of the cross in Isaiah 53. So of course Luke knew about the power of the cross. But for some reason, he does not talk about how by the cross our sins are forgiven. All right? no uh, did, did you say something earlier? Oh, I... Okay. Well, people have speculated as far as why he doesn't do that. And, and all I can say is if I were to tell you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you have no idea you are completely theologically uneducated, that would sound so silly to you he died on the cross for my sins what what is that why did he have to die on the cross for my sins right and luke would be obligated to then do exactly what paul does at least in part in galatians or romans to talk about the significance and the power of the cross and but he he can't do that it, or at least he chooses not to do that and he leaves it up to Paul or, or uh, Peter, whoever, in, in the, the Gospels, excuse me, the, their letters. And so he chooses not to do that. What he chooses to do is show the apostles as witnesses of the resurrection. That's his focus. His focus is the resurrection much more than any kind of atonement theology. I'm going to word it that way. You just don't find that in the book of Acts. Because that just seems so strange. Jesus, a human dying on a cross from and somehow my sins are forgiven. Tell me how that is. How quickly could you explain that to someone? It would take a while. So Luke just chooses not to cover that because his focus is more... The resurrection, that these men, the apostles, are, re- are witnesses of the resurrection. And so the resurrection is what they tend to focus on in the book of Acts. Okay? Um, and I just, <clears throat> I-, I just want to conclude with this. And I preached on it a few, few weeks ago, especially on Easter. But the resurrection so radically changed these men. We see them cowering at the end of all the Gospels. They're hiding in an upper room and they're barely stepping out. Luke tells us just a little bit. Okay, and they went to the temple and worshiped. No witnessing. They're waiting, of course, for the outpouring of the Spirit. Something happened at the end of those Gospels that so radically changed these cowardly men, fearful men, into lion-hearted gospel preachers. Peter standing up and proclaiming the resurrection. And I am sure that by the time he was getting into it, some of the religious leaders there, and he says to the Jews, and no doubt the religious leaders, you killed him. He even speaks to the Sanhedrin, you killed this Jesus, Savior. You killed him. With the help of the, the, uh, the Romans, you kill, and you, Peter, you're just setting yourself up to be martyred right now. But God spared his life, of course. In one situation, gay you came to the rescue. But the focus is these men witnessed something that so radically changed their life. Some of them are losing their lives. They're being persecuted. Paul is stoned, left for dead. Um, There's persecution everywhere. Why? Because these men have witnessed the resurrection. Paul witnessed the risen Savior telling him, from now on, you will preach me, and I'm going to show you just how much you will have to suffer for my name. Their lives were totally upended, totally transformed by the resurrection. So Acts, Luke chooses to focus on that. And this is what we call the charigma. This is what they, this is what, he records them preaching, okay. And this message, as it spread, and we you we have those verses, how it spread so radically, it upended the Roman Empire. It it transformed people, and it transformed officials. It transformed Theophilus, and that same power is available to us today that we can live. And so I'm going to close in prayer right now. And I'm going to pray that that resurrection will so radically change us and motivate us that we will be like these men. Amen. And so, Father, I just ask you that you would uh, just impart truth to us, that you would speak to us through your word and that, Father, that as we experience uh, Jesus himself, the risen Savior, um, the Father, that we would be so thoroughly convinced and so radically motivated that we would want to tell people, just like the apostles did, just like Philip, just like Stephen did, Stephen died because he proclaimed Jesus. And I just ask you, Lord, that you would so motivate, so fill us with your spirit that we would be witnesses to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.